Of Pasuk Yud. The Torah tells us the following. When a person, when Klal Yisrael's armies draw near to a city, they're in war mode, they're about to attack a city, to wage war against it. So the first thing that you have to do from the Torah's perspective is the karasa eleha l'shalom. The Jewish attitude in war is not that we are bloodthirsty conquerors. The first thing to do when you're trying to wage war is make peace. Before anything, you have to make an overture to the other side, which is your enemy. And instead of saying threats, and instead of just rolling out the tanks straight into their territory, the first thing that you must do, says the Tyra, you have to try to extend your hand in peace. Then the Torah says, And if they accept your peace, if they say, yes, we would like to uh, find a peaceful resolution to this problem, So it's not just a peace, you have to basically uh, move in there, and they will pay taxes to you, they will be under your servitude, but that is what they must accept in the process of peace. And the Torah continues, and if they don't want to make peace with you, then you will have to wage war with them, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will ensure victory. But what we see from these psukim are how great the concept of peace is in the Torah. A Jew is not supposed to be a fighter. A Jew is not supposed to be somebody that's constantly aggressive and the aggressor. But rather, HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects us all nationally and individually to find a peaceful resolution to every and any crisis that erupts. There's a machlekes, just agav, Machlegas Rishayim, a big Machlegas Rishayim about who exactly the Torah is referring to. Who am I supposed to be making peace with? If it's specifically by a Mochemes Rishos, if it's a voluntary war, meaning a war that the Torah doesn't say you must wage, or is it even a Mochemes Mitzvah, even when the Torah says you must wage war against them? For example, the nations that occupy Eretz Yisrael, the Shiva Sa'amimim, who the Torah says that you have to conquer and you have to drive them out of the land, does it include them as well? And there's a, a very big machlegas, as I've said, but we're not going to go into those specifics today, but there is, just for your own knowledge, a, a, a major machlegas about who the Torah is referring to. But be that as it may, there is a very, very important stress that the Torah is giving us that you must always make peace with people. War is not plan A. War is plan Z. After all of the other options have been, have been completely tried and tested and failed, then you could go to war. But short of that, the Torah very much values peace. This is not only peace when you can't win. This is peace when I can win. This is not talking about, you know, I'm afraid to battle, or if I battle, I'm not sure if I'll win. I will win. And even though the Torah is saying you will win, you still have to try to make peace. Peace is not something that you do as a, uh, you know, because you're afraid, because you're cowardly. Peace is for the strong. When a person is powerful, he also has an obligation to make peace. All of this is borne out in a fascinating Sifri. The Sifri is like the Medrash of Sefer Devarim. And the Sifri has a very long arichas, a very long list, describing and illustrating how great is peace. Gadol HaShalom. Peace is so great. And then the Medrash, the Sifri says why it's so great. And it brings Psukim. And again, Gadol HaShalom, Gadol HaShalom, Gadol HaShalom. We're going to today go through a few of these um, sifris just to give us an understanding 
and a clear definition of what peace is. What does it mean to make peace with somebody? So I think if you would ask the average diplomat, what does it mean to have a peaceful resolution to a crisis? Let's take the, uh, what's going on today in, uh, with North Korea and South Korea. So there has been a decades-long tension between these two bordering nations. They don't like each other. You can't cross the border. There's constant um, guns pointing at each other. There's a demilitarized zone. Uh, but beyond that, like they're constantly monitoring one another. They're afraid of invasions. They're afraid of, uh, you know, of any sort of relationship between North Koreans and South Koreans. These used to be people that were one people, but now they're divided by a border. And there is tremendous tension that's existed at that border and beyond for many, many decades. And so there's a very big attempt that our president is making to try to bring peace between North Korea and South Korea. What is successful? What is the definition of a successful peace treaty? How would you win the Nobel Peace Prize by bringing peace between North Korea and South Korea? Very simple. Stop the tension. Make sure that there's no war. Make sure that they're not going to blow each other up. And that would be a successful peace resolution. That's the only thing that's expected in peace. Obviously, if you could do more, that's great. But that's a hidder mitzvah. The main concept, the main objective of peace, as people understand peace, is just to have a peaceful resolution means to just lower the, the crisis. Make it go from a code red to a code orange, and that's peace. You win the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, you have the in, the, in the Middle East, there's the Israelis against the Palestinians. Nobody's expecting the Israelis and the Palestinians to, to love each other, to get along with each other. All we're expecting is stop the missiles, stop the fighting, stop the, the explosion, stop the terrorism, and that would be peace. That would be a, a, everybody would be very happy with that peace resolution. If it just means there's no war, that's peace, by definition. The absence of war in the human mind is peace. We have a peaceful coexistence, but it doesn't mean that we're going to actually embrace and love each other and become one and, and live in, in harmony with each other. No, it just means that don't have war. The absence of war is peace. You can make a, tr a truce between two nations. They're at peace with each other. For many, many decades, there was a, uh, uh, there was a, a cold peace between the USA and Russia. All that means was that we're not going to attack each other. But was there actual, they, we, we didn't trust each other, and there was tension constantly between USA and Russia, but it was, a, it was like, it was a cold peace. There's a cold war, there's a cold peace. That's basically what peace is. Peace is the absence of war in the common man's mind. The Torah's definition of peace is different. The Torah's definition of peace is not just that we're not battling with each other, we're not doing war. The Torah's definition of peace is something totally different, and that's what we're going to speak about this morning. The way that the Torah works is the beauty of the Lashna Kaidesh, of the holy tongue, the holy language of Lashna Kaidesh is that if you ever want to know what something is, all you have to do is examine the word that the Torah uses to describe that thing. And by examining and exploring the etymology of a word, that will provide the important definition of that word. Every single word in Lashon HaKadosh has so much meaning if we're able to understand what the word means. What does the word mean? If let's say we are describing what machlekes is, what is, if I'm in a fight with you, we're having a machlekes with each other, what does machlekes mean? Machlekes means, you look at the sherish of the word, it means chilek. 
Chalik means that there is a break between us. There's a, a fissure. There's, there's something that is, that is dividing us. I have my chalik and you have your chalik. We're basically like the proverbial roommates that take a piece of duct tape and run it through the room and you're going to stay on your side of the room and I'm going to stay on my side of the room. That's machlik. As machlik says, shalish shalib shalach shalach. We have nothing in common. I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm not dealing with you anymore. I don't like you anymore. There is a complete break in our relationship. There's a separation that exists between us. That's what war is. War is a machlekes. War is that you have your chilek and I have my chilek and there's a tremendous crack that runs between us. And it's a broken sort of relationship. It's shattered. There is a chalukah between us. And if that's the definition of machlekes, the de- definition of shalom also, if you examine that word, shalom is from the same sharish as what? Shalom. Shalom means to make something whole. To have a wholesomeness. Which means to say that if you want to repair a machlekes, it's not just enough just to put a band-aid over it, because that's not really how you're going to repair it. Shalom means that I want to make things whole again. Whatever existed before the break, before the machlekes, I want to come back and embrace you fully and make our relationship once again whole and complete. There's a shlemus to it. You know, there was a great rabbi by the name of Rusal Salanter, who was, of course, the father of the Musser movement, he had three great Talmidim. He had, whenever I say this and I start saying it, I'm, you know, if there were four, I would remember three of them. But if I say that there's three, I'd only remember two. But one of them was Reb Naftali Amsterdam. One of them was Reb Itzla Petterberg. And the last one was uh, the Alter von Kellum. Those are the three great Talmidim of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. He had more Talmidim, but those are the three major ones. So somebody once came to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter and he complained about him. Uh, he complained to him that one of his Talmidim, of Naftali Amsterdam, was spending too much time learning Musr. Musr is a great thing, but it shouldn't consume your whole life you have to learn other things, you have to do other things. If you learn Musa 24 hours a day, then, you know... And this person was saying, he's not doing other things enough. Whatever those other things may be, he's not doing them enough. He's spending too much time every day studying the Musa books. Rabbi Sal Salanter said to this person the following. He says, tonight is Friday night. Now, let's say you have on your kitchen counter two possible options for Lechem Mishnah. Let's say you have one challah, and now you have, you have to choose what the other challah is for the Lechem Mishnah. You have one beautiful, large, you know, very chash of a challah, but it's missing a part of it. Somebody already took a slice of the challah out, and now you have three quarters of a big, beautiful, puffy, fresh challah. The other option is you have a very small bilkalo, you have a very small roll, but it's perfect, it's whole. It's a shalim. So which one would you choose? Which one would halacha tell you to choose as lachem mishnah? And of course the answer is you take the small one which is whole. Even though it's not nice, big, fluffy. Why? Because shlemus, a shalim, is much more valuable, he says, than something big, which is not showing. And what he was trying to say to this person was that maybe Rav Naftali Amsterdam could be a much bigger guy in learning, but if he doesn't learn the Musr that he needs to learn, he's not going to be a showing. So to be a very big person, to be a huge Tamil Chacham, but not to have good Midas, not to be a showing in Midas, is not as valuable. It's valuable. It's chashev to be a big tamachacham, even if even if you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but you know, to be a big tamachacham is a very, 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 very big thing. 
But it's more important, says Rabbi Salanti, to be a smaller Talmud Chacham, but to be a Shalim in Midas. To be really working on one's own Midas and to be a, a proper, good, elevated character. That is something that's more important than a large thing that's not Shalim. The objective in life is always to attain Shlemus. Shalim is that objective. When you want to bring peace to, to two people, or to two countries, or to two warring factions, what you want to do from the terrorist perspective is not just merely to say, all right, let's have a truce, stop the fighting. Tyra wants Shalim, they want that there should be Shlemus, there should be a resolution, there should be no more break, there should be no more separation, there should be no more incompleteness in this relationship, it should be totally complete and beautiful and whole once again. That's what Shalom is. Shalom is not just merely the absence of war, Shalom means when two people stop fighting and they embrace, and they're determined to make their relationship once again whole. That is what Shalom is in the terrorist perspective. Let's go through a few of the things that the Sifri says to illustrate how great Shalom is in the Torah. And by the way, it's all brought on this Pasuk. So this Pasuk in Parashat Shaiftim is really the source for peace in the Torah. If you're looking for, how do you know that peace is so important? How do you know that it's such a, a vital objective to a Yid to make Shalom with other people? It's all from this Pasuk. This is where, this is the source of everything. This mitzvah in the Torah, the Karas Shalom. If you're about to go to war with somebody, stop and make Shalom with them. This is the source, and this is where the Medrash brings all of these lists and lists and lists of how great Shalom is. So let's go through a few of them in order to prove what I'm saying, that Shalom is actually the harmony of two opposing things that, when you make that whole, that's what really is the attainment of peace. One thing that it says in the Medrash is, Gadol HaShalem, Sharel Yainem Tzrichem Peace is so great, Rabbi say, that even Shamayim needs peace. Even in the above, in the upper spheres of heaven, peace is something that's a requirement. How do you know that? Because we say every day at the end of Shemayin Asrei, Eiseh Shalim Bimraimov. HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes peace up above. So we see from here how great Shalom is, says the Sifri. HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs peace. Lamala, that shows how great peace is. Where do you find Lamala that there is Machlekes, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to referee? HaKadosh Baruch has to bring peace above. Where do you find that? Maybe you'd say, well, I don't know, sometimes angels maybe can have a rumble. Sometimes angels can scuffle with each other. It's not true. There's Medrashim that say that Lamala, the angels, love each other. We say it in Davening every day, right? Kulam Ahuvim, Kulam Berurim, Kulam Gibam, Kulam Eisim, Be'im Avir, Kulam Akam They love each other. They get along with each other. Lamala, there's no kinna, there's no jealousy, there's no sinna, there's no hatred, there's no sacris, there's no competitiveness. The malachim are perfectly harmonious with one another. There's no machlegs there. What does it mean when we say, makes peace above? What does that mean? So I think what it means is, there is one time that Akadosh needs to constantly make peace. There's something tense up above. You know what that is? Shamayim itself, Shamayim itself, Chazal tell us, Rashi brings it in Sefer in Parshish Barashas, the word Shamayim comes from two words that are contracted together, Esh and Mayim. Shamayim is Esh and Mayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took fire and water, which are two things we know cannot coexist, but HaKadosh Baruch when he made Shamayim, he made peace between fire and water, and he put them together, and that's how heaven was made. 
Agav Orcha, I always wanted to say that by Makas Barod, right? Barod was a Makkah that also had fire and water, right? We know the Medrashim that the, those hailstones that were coming down in Egypt were fire and water together. It's interesting that to start that Makkah, HaKadosh Baruch says, Nitei go up to heaven, Medrash says, Meshach was brought up to heaven and he hit, he hit Shemayim and that's what triggered Makkah's Barad. You know why? Because he hit Shemayim, the Barad came from Shemayim. It was a, it was a Shemayim de Gamata because the only time that you find in the world that fire and water are coexisting is in Shemayim. That was brought down to heaven and bombarded Mitzrayim. And so he makes peace constantly between heaven, between fire and water. These are warring factions. But HaKadosh constantly makes Shalom B'mraimah. He makes peace between them. What does that mean he makes peace between them? It means that you take two opposites. You take fire and water and you don't say, okay, fire, you're on this side of the room, water, you're on this side of the room, but just get along. Shalom means I'm making a shlemus between them. I'm taking things that cannot coexist and I'm making peaceful coexistence in the real way. I'm bringing harmony between two opposites. That's what shalom is. Isa shalom bin Raimav. That's the, that's one of the greatnesses of shalom that the Sifri brings. And this is a riot to what we're saying. Ish and Mayim, two opposites, Akadosh who brings them together in a whole in order to accomplish peace. Agav Urcha, Ramesha Sherer, was the president of the Agudas Yisrael, and he was a, uh, a fabulous leader. He was really, I, I heard him speak a few times, he was a great, great, one of the great speakers, really full of fire and brimstone and passion. He was a, a very close confidant with Gedele Yisrael, and he led the Agudas Yisrael through many, many uh, decades and, and uh a real manig, a real, a real leader. Additionally, he had another kayak. He was very good with darshanin, and he had very, he had many homiletical thoughts that were very beautiful. In fact, I think he gave a whole class. He, he used to give classes in homiletics uh, in in certain yeshivas. The last vart of Ramesha Sharer's life, he was in the hospital. On Shabbos, before he uh, before he was nifter, and a few moments before he went into a coma and wasn't able to speak, somebody came and visited him. Somebody that he didn't even know. A yid was in the hospital. He heard her Meshur Shar was in was in in the hospital, and he came to visit him. He didn't really know him at all, but they were schmoozing a little bit. And Meshur Shar said, "I want to tell you a vart because." We know how nifter If you part from a person, you should always part with a with the because then you'll remember one another fondly through that tzvartayra. I guess maybe Ramesh Shar knew that he was literally going to be nifter mechaveray, so he told him the final vart of his life, a life that was full of tayra and of vertloch and of of ideas, and and this was the final vart. He said that in Shemayna Esrei, we end with that HaKadosh like we just said, makes peace in heaven. So he said that what do we do as we're saying as we're learning the lessons of the Rabbeinu Shalom and how he makes peace, what do we do? We do two things. First, we take three steps back, and then we bow down to the left, and we bow down to the right, and we bow down in the middle. That's what we do as we say, So Meshur Shara says a beautiful vart. He says that in order for us to make peace, in order for us to resolve conflict, in case, let's say, we are in a fight with somebody, it's very hard to get out of a fight. Has any, if anyone's ever been in a, in a machlek with somebody else, it might be a relative, it might be a friend, it might be a, uh, you know, somebody you work with. And sometimes there's tension, you get into a fight with somebody, it's really, really hard. Even Elul time, even Rosh Hashanah, even Yom Kippur, it's hard to resolve 
a machlekes. It just is. Sometimes you have to bring in big rabbanim to be involved in, but it's never easy. It's always a very hard process. So Ramesha says, in order to make peace, like HaKadosh Baruch Hu does B'mraimav, you have to do two things. The first thing that you have to do is take three steps back. Meaning, you have to remove yourself from being too subjective. When we're in a fight with people, what we're basically convinced of is that we're right. We're right, and the other person is wrong. And not only that, but everybody's telling me that I'm right. All my good friends, my wife is telling me I'm right, and my friends are telling me I'm right, my parents are telling me that I'm right. Everybody's saying that I'm right, So, and that guy's wrong. So I'm right, he's wrong. I'm good, he's bad. I'm white, he's black. It's so clear that I'm in the right, so why should I apologize? Why should I try to make peace? But we know that the truth in life is that no one, things are not that black and white. There's a lot more gray in life than we know. It might be that I'm partially right, but he might also be partially right. Maybe the reason why I feel the way I do is because I am very nagebedover. I feel, you know, very strongly about the matter because I have skin in the game. And, you know, maybe, but maybe objectively speaking, he also has something, you know, that he has to say about the matter. Maybe from his vantage point, if I'd be able to somehow go into issues for a few minutes, I would see things completely different. He's not a bad person. I'm a totally good person. He's not a Russian. I'm a Tzaddik. We're both good people, just we have a difference of opinion. But if I'm stuck where I am, if I refuse to budge, and I just you know sit in an echo chamber and hear how I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I will never make peace with somebody else because I'm right, you're wrong. I'll just sit and wait by the phone all day for you to give me a call to apologize. So the first thing that you have to do is take three steps back. You have to say, listen, I, I, I'm just stuck in there. I've got to move away from that subjectivity. I have to become more objective. Let's not like be stuck in, that, in the middle of this crisis. Let's move back and examine it from afar. Sometimes if you have a fresh perspective from a distance, it's very, very, you know, all of a sudden you hop that way. Well, maybe I'm not so right. Maybe the other person was right the whole time. Maybe I just was seeing things through my eyes and through my perspective, but I'm wrong. So the first thing that you have to do if you want to make peace, if you want to copy the Rabbani Shalom's Shalom, you have to take three steps. You have to remove yourself a little bit. Remove your Nagiyas, remove your subjectivity and become a little bit more objective. And then you could see from a more bird's eye view that it's not as clear as I thought it was. There, there is a case to be made for both sides. That's the first step in making peace. And the second step, says Ramesh Shara, is that you have to bow down. You have to be able to compromise. You have to be able to be mevater. If you're going to be, you know, standing straight and I'm right and, you know, and you're wrong, that will ne- you'll never make peace. If you want to stay firm and, you know, and dig your heels in and make sure that you don't budge an inch, you will never make peace. To make peace, you have to move back and then you have to bow down. You have to be able to compromise. You have to be able to concede that I am not perfect and that you have a very good case to be made and you pick up the phone and you call the person, which is the greatest act of, of concession and, and of hachna'a and of bowing, and that's when you can make peace. That's Isa Shalom bin Raimov. Let's go to another line in the Sifri. God all Shalom. Shalom is so great. She'ein chaismen kala brachais ela b'shalom she'nemar v'yasim l'cha shalom. There's a bracha that's one of the most important, if not the most important bracha in the Torah. That's birchas kaihanim. Birchas Kaihanim is a bracha that we make. Kaihanim make it, say it every day. They bless the nation, Eretz Yisrael, every day. There's duchening, svardim duchen, even chutzlaretz every day. In fact, when there are certain G'dayli Yisrael that have come to visit, like when Rav Steinemann came to America, and 
he's so used to every single day in Eretz Yisrael for, you know, for, I don't know how long he lived, 70 years in Eretz Yisrael. Every day he had Birchus Kahanim. He came to America, all of a sudden, like, nobody's duchening. So he dafka daven in a Svardish minion to make sure to get Birchus Kahanim. It's a very important thing to, to get blessed by the Kahanim. We call it in Chazar Sashatz when the, when the, when the Shlech Tzibor gives the introduction to Birchus Kahanim before Sim Shalom, which is not coincidental either, that Barcheno Babracha Hamashuleshes Patayra. It's a triple bracha on the Tyro. It's not considered one bracha, even though we say it like sort of as one, and when, you know, people bench their children Friday night, they also make birchas kahanim if you have that minig. It seems, it, it, it seems like it's one, it seems like it's one bracha, but it's really a bracha mishuleshes patayra. It's a, it's a triple bracha on the Tyro. What are the three brachas? There are three psukim. Yivarecha Hashem b'yishmerecha. Hashem should bless you and, and, and safeguard you. Yar Hashem He should enlighten His face to you. And Yis Hashem He should lift His face to you. And He should give you peace. So we see that the end of this bracha, this great bracha, is Shalom. The word Shalom is the clincher of these three Brachas. So the Sifri says, God Shalom, Shalom is so great, Shekala Brachas ain't Chaisman Shalom. Shalom is the clincher, is the sealer of these three Brachas. That's what the Sifri says. What does that mean? That Shalom is the clincher of the three Brachas. What does that mean? How does it tie in? What does it mean? There's three Brachas, Shalom is the clincher. I'll tell you what I heard once from Revival Kohn. Revival Kohn is the author of the Badei HaSholchan. If anyone uh, has learned Yeridea, if you've gone for Smicha, there's a classic sefer called Badei HaSholchan. It's, it's sort of like a Mishnah on parts of Yeridea. So they have on Nida, on Tvila, on, um, on, uh, on Basar B'chalav, on Taruvis, on, uh, on Molicha, on basically whatever you'd study for Smicha. And then he's putting out other volumes on, uh, on Yeridea as well, Hachasadaka, and etc. So I used to daven by Reb He's a he's a Chaim Berliner. He's a Tamaner Berputner. And I used to he, his shul used to be around the corner from when we lived in Brooklyn. And I used to daven there quite often. He was a, a tremendous Pisic, a tremendous Gadol. Now he moved to Lakewood, um, but I used to go there and hear his drushes and hear his Mishnah here. So one time he said the following vart. It's a, it's a much longer vart. We're not going to say the whole thing out, but basically about duchening. This is what he said. The first bracha of Yivrech Hashem Yishmerecha is a bracha about what? Gashmius. Rashi says, Yivrech Hashem Sheyisparchu Nechasecha that your property should be blessed, meaning you should make a, a, a million dollars. You should have Yishmerecha and you should be able to keep the money it's all a bracha of Gashmias. That's the first of the three brachas. Hashem should bless you and protect you. That's the bracha of Gashmias. The next bracha, Yar Hashem Panave Lacha Bichuneka, is Ruchnias. The Mepharshim say, Yar Hashem Panave Lacha, He should give you light in Tyra. You want to be able to understand the Gemara, what the Gemara is saying. You want to understand Taisus. You want to understand the Rishayim, the Achrayim, Chumash, Rashi, Ramban, whatever it is that you're learning. You need to have a certain light. You have to be enlightened to the words of Tyra. That's the second bracha of Birchas Kanim. Yar Hashem Panavelach and the first say by Tyra. You want Tyra. You want to be have a brilliant mind in Tyra. You want clarity in Tyra. Pay attention to that second bracha. Yar Hashem Panavelach Avichunecha. So you have a bracha here, a double bracha so far, of Gashmias, and then a bracha of Ruchnias. One problem. What's the problem? The problem is that it's really hard to have both. I could really be very good in one thing. 
If I want to, let's say, pursue Gashmius, if I want to be a millionaire and I want to drive a, a Lambo and I want to live in a, in, a, in a big mansion with a swimming pool and with servants and with, you know, and with a private jet, I might be able to do that if I'm really you know, sophisticated and smart and, and very uh, ambitious. But that comes at a very big cost. I'm not going to have time to learn a concise and learn a, learn a tisis well and learn because my mind is so preoccupied with my business. I'm busy with my business day and night. I'm busy with, with my profession day and night. How am I going to be able to, at the same time that I'm successful in business, I don't even mean like that type of lifestyle, but even a regular lifestyle, just to be able to make a, a nice parnasa today, to be able to finance my family, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. You have to be in school for a long time to, to, to get that profession. And then once you start the profession, you have to pay back all the chayvis that you incurred in graduate school and whatever. For years, you're going to be busy day and night with your profession, with your business. So Gashmias is great. But then how am I going to be able to have my ruchnias? My ruchnias is going to suffer. Now let's say I'm focused on Ruchnius. I'm a very spiritual person and I'm determined that I'm going to be the next God Ladar. What do I do? I take my Gemara and I sit Yaiman Valayla and I don't talk to anybody. I make a tiny Dibor and my, my Shemana Esrays are, you know, are, are 50 minutes and, and, and I'm busy day and night learning. And that's amazing. But what about Gashmius? Your family needs to be supported. Your family wants to eat. Your family wants to sleep. Your family wants to pay their tuition. They want to pay their credit card bills. They want to, they want to go to camp in the summer. So it's great that you're working on your ruchnias, but what's going to be with the gashmias? These two brachas are great individually, but what's going to be with my holistic self? Who am I? Who am I? When I look in the mirror and I'm going for gashmias, and then I'm going for Ruchnius, I'm going for God. But what does that leave me? I, I, I'm left with nothing. Because if I focus too much on Gashmius, I have no Ruchnius. I focus too much on Ruchnius, I have no Gashmius. Comes along the third bracha, says the Bible. Yisa Hashem, Pana Lecha, the Yasem Lecha Shalom. Hakadish should give you a third vital blessing here. That you're able to have shalom, you're able to find a way, somehow, some way, to harmonize the ruchnius and the gashmius. So that you're one of those pre- people that just, you struck the right balance in life. You have enough gashmius, you have enough ruchnius, you weren't pulled away from ruchnius by virtue of your pursuit of gashmius. You weren't pulled away from Gashmias by virtue of your pursuit of Ruchnias. You were able to be one of those people, and it's rare to find, but those people that have just that right mix. That's the ultimate bracha. That's what the Sifri means when it says that God Shalom, Shalom is so great. Shein Chaisman Kala Brachas Elabishalim. The three brachas, this bracha mishulashes, is sealed. It's clinched with shalom. What does that mean? What, that the last word is shalom? No. Shalom is the makibipatish, if you will, the final blow to finish the malacha of a person who is being blessed with ruchnias and gashmias, but he needs that shlemus, he needs that harmony. If we teach one thing in Lander College, it's this. It's the ability to balance our life because you're taught it here. This is where you're taught it. If you're a person that spent, you know, many, many years in, in just in college without any yeshiva, that's the way it's going to be the rest of your life. You're never going to be able to, you know, combine ruchnis and gashmi because you're so tilted to the gashmi side. And the other way is true also. If let's say you spent so many years of your life just le- learning constantly, very hard when you have to go to work to, you know, figure out that, you know, how to, how to balance it that way. But here we try to give you like a, a, a sort of a, a great preparation for the world that awaits you beyond graduation because you're able to figure out, here you have 
starim, and then you have college, and you have to figure out when to learn extra at night, and when to do your studies, and your papers, and your midterms, and your finals, and, and to juggle all that, and find that shlemus, find that balance, that's very valuable. That's an amazing thing. If you could do that, if you can learn that here, then you're good. But that's what shalom is. Shalom is, like we're saying before, it's shlemus. It's being able to find that harmonious balance when you take two opposites, you take Ruchnius and Gashmius, and not just say, let's have a truce between them, but somehow we're able to bring them together in one holistic whole, that you're able to be like this person that is a Shalom. I have my Ruchnius and I have my Gashmius, and there's Shlemus, there's Shalom between them. I don't feel like a contradiction between being in the base Medrash and then being at work. For some people, their work is more like a base medrash, and their base medrash sometimes for others is a, is, is a workplace. There has to be a shlemus. There has to be like a, a, a completion that a person feels like I have my starim, I have my work, and I'm able to keep it all together. It's hard. But that's what Akhir Shabbat expects. That's how great shalom is. If you're able to take opposites and put them together and make yourself shalom with them, that's shalom. There's another line in the Sifri. Gadol HaShalom. Shalom is great. Sheshem shenichta b'kdusha nimchal amayim b'shvilahato shalom ben ish li'ishtay. There's a parasha in the Torah called Saita. Saita is that a husband and a wife have a very big machlekes. And the husband accuses the wife of talking to a certain man she feels that, he feels that there's some, you know, interest between his wife and that man. And so first he warns her, do not ever be miyached with her. Don't, don't, I don't want you ever to go into a room together with him because I don't trust you. I think there's something going on. And there's a, there's Adas on that. And then Shitaka goes into a private room with that individual for a certain amount of time. That would be problematic in, 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 for, for this halacha. And when she does that, and there are Adim that see that, they didn't see what she did in there, but she saw that, they saw that she was misyached with a man for a certain sheer of time. So then there's this whole very dramatic parsha in the Torah. And the Torah says that she has to um, go through a very embarrassing process in the Beis HaMikdash, with her clothing and with her uh, with her makeup and with a belt and a whole complicated thing that Chazal speak about in the and then they give her something to drink. They give her something called May Saita. All right, that might be a good name for a soda drink. Actually, maybe we should market that. But it would compete with Mayim Chaim. We have Mayim Chaim, and then we have May Saita. So what was in, well, and she had to drink this, and if she drinks it and her stomach like explodes and something like really weird happens, like straight out of a science fiction movie, and her whole body starts erupting and blowing up and exploding, she's dead, and that's the end of the story. That shows that she was not the guilty as charged. The Gemara says if she drinks it and nothing happens to her, tremendous brachas. You know, you were accused falsely, and now if she wasn't able to have children before, she has children. If she has children that were um, not so handsome, now she's going to have children that are handsome. What was the ingredient in that mesaita? What was in there? So one of the ingredients was they would take a parsha of saita, they would take a the sh- uh, like a, let's say it looks like let's say a mezuzah, and they would they would write the parsha of saita on it with yudke bavkes all over the place on that parsha. They would take that parsha, dip it in the water, until the until the writing on that parchment dissolves in the water. They take some other things, and that's what they give her to drink. Now, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is saying to do this, and that's not a simple thing because you're basically eroding and 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 wiping out Hakadosh Baruch Hu's own name in the process. But Hakadosh Baruch Hu says to do that. That's something that we normally would never do. We know that, right? If he, you know, if you, you're not allowed to erase Hashem's name in any way. There's Shilas I've seen, like Rabbi Yashiv was asked, like on a computer screen, 
if there's a yud kevav ke on a computer, would you be allowed to delete that? Or if, let's say, you know, sometimes it happens, people write a shame on the blackboard. Are you, what, do you, what do you do? There's big problems with, with erasing shamans. Very big problems. But HaKadosh Baruch himself is saying, I want you to erase my name. For what? To bring Shalom Benishlishta. The way to determine whether she was faithful or not is this process. I'm happy to give my name, says Hashem. Erase my name just that there should be Shalom Bayes. Just so there should be Shalom Ben Yishlishtai, it's Kedai to erase my name. Gadol HaShalom says the Sifri, Sheshem Shenichta B'Kedusha, Kedush Baruch name, written B'Kedusha, Nimchal HaMayim, it's dissolved in the water of Mesaita, B'Shvil HaHatel Shalom Ben Yishlishtai, to bring Shalom Bayis. That's how great Shalom is, says the Sifri. Now what is Shalom Bayis? What does that mean when you have shalom, when you have peace in a house between a man and a wife, between a husband? What does that mean? There's a joke that says that, um, you know, my wife and I, we, uh, we take separate vacations and we, uh, we, we, uh, when we, when we go, you know, when we have separate bedrooms, we have separate, uh, um, friends, we have separate chevras. We're trying whatever we can to keep this marriage together. That's a joke. But that's some people's definition of Shalom Bayez. Shalom Bayez says just, you know, do anything that you can just to keep the marriage together. But, uh, you know, more than that, you don't have to do. As long as you're keeping the marriage together or you're not getting divorced, that's Shalom Bayez. If you look at the, the way G'dayla Yisrael looked at Shalom Bayez, it was completely different. I guess the best example, the most famous story is Rabbi Arya Levine the tzaddik of Yerushalayim, who had a, a storybook marriage with his wife, and when, he di- when she died, he was like, ice man, she was like beyond himself, he was beside himself, he had such a beautiful relationship with her, he felt like he had no, um, you know, he, there was a story that after his wife died, he was in an Israeli taxi, uh, and he said, uh, you know, he was at a certain event, and he had to go home, so he said, um, he says, uh, the taxi driver says, you know, where, where's your house? So he started getting very, like, choked up with Ari Levine. He says, I can give you the street address, but I don't have a home anymore. So since my wife died, I don't have a home anymore. I have an address. I can give you a street I don't, there's, my house doesn't exist. My home doesn't exist. When he went once with his wife to a doctor because her foot had some infection on it, he went into the doctor and he said, Doctor... Our foot is hurting us. Our foot. That's what shalom is. Shalom means that you have two people, and a man and a wife are very, very different. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. There's, they're different brias, literally. But when a person is somehow, some way, able to bring harmony in his home, that there, there's a oneness, and there's a, a, a combined purpose and a mission together, and there is a love that brings the two parties together totally, that's Shalom Bayez, that is Shalom, that's the definition of Shalom, Shalom is so great that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to bring Shalom between Ishla Ishla, that is not a truth, that means that there is a harmony, there is a oneness between them, that's the Jewish definition of Shalom. In order to be a a person of peace, in order to attain all that we're speaking about today, you really need first a Shlemus Hamidas. Like Rabbi Natali Amsterdam was that Chalo that was a Shalim. That's really what it takes to be a, a man of peace. Because if you don't have good midas, then you're just going to be a, a person that continues and perpetuates machlekes and, and ill will, and you're just going to be a, you know, a walking magnet of tension. In order to really make peace with somebody, like we said before, you have to be able to remove yourself, to bow, to be mevater, to give in. To be a shalom in midas is the prerequisite of shalom. Tell you a great story. 
that took place with Rav Kalman Krohn. Kalman Krohn was somebody who was Nifter a few months ago. He is uh, the, a brother of Rav Pesach Krohn, Ibadul Chaim, who is perhaps the more famous brother, but Rav Kalman Krohn is famous in his own way. Rav Kalman Krohn was literally a tzad, one of the tzaddikei hadar. And we've spoken about him in the past. He, he was just a, an amazing individual. He lived in Lakewood. He was very, very, very from Yerushamayim. Tremendous Baal Tzedakah. He collected money, millions of dollars from people, and then he would send them, send to Aniyah Eretz Yisrael, the poor people in Eretz Yisrael, he'd send them millions of dollars. He, I think, I know that before he died, he had a cheshman of how many millions of dollars he raised. Tremendous amount. I don't remember the exact number, but to the penny, he kept a cheshman and it was like an amazing amount. He learned day and night and he was Makara people. He made, um, for Israeli soldiers, he had lists he got from the, from the Israeli government, like confidential lists of all of the chayalim that died in Muhammad or that were wounded. And he basically arranged for guys in Lakewood and Tamid Acham to learn Mishnayesh for them, to say Tillim for them, to say Kaddish for them. He cared about everybody, about every Jew. One great story about him, I'm sure they're going to put out a book of his life because he really deserves it. But one amazing story was that he asked somebody that, you know, one of his neighbors, I guess, in Lakewood, who was going to Eretz Yisrael, he said, would you mind taking the envelope um, and somebody will pick the envelope up when you get to Eretz Yisrael. It has cash in it. It's tzedakah that I raise, I don't know, let's say $10,000 cash. And would you take that to Eretz Yisrael? When you get there, um, you know, call this number and he'll, uh, he'll come and pick it up from your hotel. Okay, so he went, he took it gladly, and then he went to Eretz Yisrael. And Rav Kalman didn't hear from him, so he calls his hotel, and the guy answers the phone. He says, uh, did, you, did you fulfill the mission yet that I gave you? He says, Rav Kalman, I have a problem. So what's the problem? He says, I'm looking all over for that envelope. I can't find it. So Rav Kalman starts getting nervous. This isn't his own money. If it was his own money, he'd also be nervous. But it's not his own money. He raised that money. Now he, you know, people gave him money for tzedakah. Now you know, he's on the hook for it. He says, did you look in your, in your jacket, in your pocket? He says, yeah. He says, did you look in your suitcase? He says, yeah. Uh, what about your carry-on? Yeah. So he says, listen, look again. I'll call you back tomorrow. Just try harder to find it, please. Anyway, call him back tomorrow. He says, comment, I can't find it. Can't find The money is gone. I don't know if I dropped it. I don't know if it was stolen. I don't know what happened. It's gone. He says, look one more time. Anyway, he looks again. It's not there. And that was basically, you know, the Andrew Kalman didn't call him back anymore in Israel. And if it was me, I'd be pretty upset. I gave the guy $10,000. He's a shimer. I asked him to watch it. It wasn't my own money. I raised it. Now I have to, like, you know, come up with other monies or return the money, whatever. It's a big headache for me. So it's a very difficult thing. You know, uh, rightfully, I, I would be, I would have kindness on this guy. I would maybe, you know, take him to a dintaira. Maybe I would, uh, you know, really guilt him into, into finding the money, paying me back. I don't know what I would do. But it's not a simple thing to lose ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. But I'm not Rav Kalman Kron, Baruch Hashem. Kalman Kron found out when this person was returning from Eretz Yisrael, when his flight was landing, and he stood by his door waiting for his car to pull up and to come into the house. And the guy comes out of the car and Rav Kalman gives him a box. And the person says, Rav what is this? So he says, open up the box. So he opens up the box and it's a big, beautiful cake. And on the cake is written the following words from a Pasuk. Hinani Naisain Lacha Esbrisi Shalom. Behold, I am giving to you a covenant of peace. 
He says, all I want to do is settle this peacefully. I don't want to get into a machlaikis with you. I don't want tension with you. I don't want to have our kids fighting and our wives fighting and our grandkids fighting. I just want to end it right now. Let's make up. It's fine. Everything is forgiven and forgotten. We have shalom between us. That is what it takes to make peace. You have to be a shalom. You have to have perfect midas because otherwise, forget it. If you don't have perfect midas, if you don't have good midas, you can't make peace because I'm mad, I have tightness, I'm going to get all my friends together, we're all going to tell who the guy was and he's irresponsible and you can't do a shidduch with him and you can't hire him and you can't, he's, he's, he's the worst. Is he really the worst? Don't we all lose things once in a while? Don't we all, things happen in life that, that's sometimes unavoidable. He's not a bad person, he just, maybe he messed up, maybe it was an accident, maybe it was an anus, I don't know what happened, nobody knows what happened. But the worst thing that could happen is that we should become bali machlekes. We should have that chiluka between ourselves. We should have a, a fraction, a, a division, separate parties, separate, you know, machlekes between us. That would be the worst thing in the world. We have to extend the olive branch to each other. But it takes the Shlemus Hamidas. Because that's what Shalom is. Shalom is the harmony between two people. But it starts from a harmony within. I have to have peace within me before I can make peace with you. This is very Nagea in Yeshiva. Because in Yeshiva... Baruch Hashem, I don't think there is a, a lot of machlekes, but it's important to understand what Tamidei Chachamim are. And there's another line in the Sifri that says, Gadol HaShalem Shenitan La'aya Peace is so great because it was given to people who love Taira. Shenemar the Pasuk says, Shalom Rav Great peace comes to those that love Tyra. We know that we say at the end of Davening on Shabbos morning, Tamide Chachamim Marbim Shalom Ba'ilam. A Tamil Chacham is a person who is Marbim Shalom. He increases the volume of peace in the world. There's a great Chasam Cipher. This is not what I want to say, but there happens to be a, a, a very important Chasam Cipher explaining what does that mean? Tamil Chamar Mar Bishalam. They wear their like UN peacekeeping hats. Like what, what does that mean that they're Mar Bishalam Bailam? How do they make peace in the world? They're sitting learning. So he says a, a beautiful vart, a gorgeous vart. He says, every year Rosh Hashanah, just like everything else is determined what will be this year, one of the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu determines is how much machlaikis is there going to be in the world? So some years, it's, let's say there's 20 units of machlaikis in the world. Some years there's 50 units. And imagine like during World War II, there's like a thousand units of machlaikis. The whole world was, was at war. But every year there's a certain determination by Hashem how much machlaikis there will be in the world. So let's say one year there's supposed to be 15 units of machlaikis in the world. Now, that generally will be expressed in people fighting each other, killing each other, people having, you know, the regular sort of machlekes that we are talking about today. People, uh, you know, countries at war, and cities at war, and families at war, friends at war. So there's a certain sheer of machlekes that's supposed to be this year. Tamidich HaChamim, what are they doing all day? They're engaged in what we call a milchamta shaltaira. When you're learning Torah with your chavrusa, it's not supposed to be, you know, making nice with each other. It's supposed to be, I'm fighting with you. I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm insisting that I am right. My pshat and taisa is right. And I'm going to go to the death for that pshat that I have. And you're going to the death for your pshat. And you're screaming back at me and I'm screaming back at you. Sometimes you go into a basement. I've been in a basement that literally they're like, they're kimat like at blows over a pshat and taisis. Literally. I'm not joking. They're screaming. 
We're just very polite over here. But if you go into a, like Sern Bate Medrash, like they're literally screaming. They want to kill each other. That's called Milcham Teshol That's beautiful. That's a beautiful type of Milchama. But when Tamid Chum engage in Milchama, you know what that is? What's that doing? It's, it's sort of taking up some of the units of Milchama that was supposed to come in the world this year. Now, just instead of it being with, with an Uzi, or with, uh, with Scott Missiles, or with, uh, or with Lashon Hara, Rechilos, Maitzi Shemra, inter-family squabbling, or whatever, they're using up all of the, they're exhausting all of the units of Mulchama that was supposed to be this year with their beautiful Mulchama of Tyra. That's Tamidicham Marvim Shalom Ba'ilam. By virtue of the fact that they're engaged in Mulchemes HaTayra, they're bringing peace to the world. We don't know how much war, real war, is not happening because of a base medrash that has people engaged in a Mulcham Toshotayra. That's the Chasam Sayyavah's pshat. But another pshat is that the shalom that is attained for the Ayah is that when you have two chavrusas, when you have a, a pair of chavrusas that are fighting and they're really, you know, desperately fighting for their pshat and they're screaming at each other and they look like they hate each other, that process produces a friendship and shalom like no other in the world. The love that comes about as a result of that melcham shaltaira is the greatest form of love that exists in the world. This is not my pshat, this is the Gemara. There's a Gemara in Kedusha and Daflamina Medbez, the Gemara is Darshan's apostolic that says, Esvayi Besufa, and the Gemara Darshan like this, Afilo Haravit Talmidai, even a Rebbe and his Talmud. Ha'avu Benay, a father and his son. Sha'aiskim Batayra Bishar Echad. Naisim Aivim Zelazet. It looks like they're enemies. Maybe they are enemies. A Rebbe and a Talmud sometimes get into a, like a, a grudge match over a, over a Pshat. A father and a son are screaming at each other over a Rashba, over a Ritva, over a Primagodim. And they become enemies with each other. They are. Einam zazim misham achinasim ayavim They will not budge from the base matters until they become in love with each other. It's a war. But that war, that milcham tishal taira of ayave taira, people that love taira, it's a war. It's a milchama. But it produces, it engenders, it fosters the most beautiful form of love. There is no greater kesher that a person can have with another person than the kesher of Tyra. If I'm a friend of yours because we go bowling together, or because we play video games together, or because we go uh, skiing together, that's good. That's a good friendship. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's important to have such friendships. But it's ain't a daima, that friendship that's built on those types of things, than a friendship that's built on Tyra. There's no close relationship between a Rebbe and a Talmud. A Rebbe that gives over Tyra and a Talmud that listens to his Tyra and, and, and gives feedback and, and responds. That Kesher is a Kesher Shal Kayama. That's a Kesher that's Nitzchi. That's eternity. A father and a son that go fishing together is a beautiful thing. But a father and a son that sit down and learn together and engage in Abaya and Rava and in Shammai and Hillel and Rashi and Tysus, there's no greater father-son relationship in the world. Two friends that sit in yeshiva and learn together, these are the friendships that will last a lifetime. Now, it might be opposites. You might be on opposing teams. But the shalom that comes from those opposites that are attracting and that are coming together as one, God Allah shalom. Shalom is so great. That's the most beautiful friendship that you can make. If you want to make a friendship, let's say you see a guy in yeshiva, you want to be friends with him. You know what the best thing to do? You want to be friends with somebody? Ask him to learn with you. Learn with him. Because when you learn with somebody, 
you will never ever not be friends. Your friendship will get stronger and deeper through Limanat Taira. Taira has that ability to, to make opposites attract. Tamidei Chachamim are marbim shalom bayom. There is no greater shlemus between two individuals than being able to learn the Taira Hashem together. That's why yeshiva is such a valuable thing to have for us. Because it teaches us so much. It teaches us about whatever we're learning, of course, in the Gemara, in the Halacha, in the Musar. But the society that's created in this base medrash, the friendships that are that are that are made, the shalom that is that is created here is unbelievable. Between friends, between chavrusas, between between rabbeim and talmidim, between kaiol guys, avrechem and, and and other guys in yeshiva, these are these are very very strong kisharim. These are ways of attaining shalom and shlemus that would really be impossible to duplicate anywhere else in the world but here. In Mitzvah Hashem, we should all take from this parasha the greatness of shalom. If we have machlekes in our life, we should try to go out of our way, be machniya ourselves, make isa shalom, and bend over to, to repair those relationships if we can. But... In addition, the limanat Torah that we have together, the Mulchamta Shal Torah, and the Shalom, the Ava that comes from it, is such a valuable, priceless asset that we take away from Yeshiva. And in Mitzvah Hashem, we should take that away every single day. Be Nasim Ayavim Zelozeh, have a beautiful society together, a beautiful friendship, a beautiful Ruach in the Yeshiva of Ava, of Achva, of Shalom, and of Reyes. Have a good Shabbos.